to a private agency, sat down with him, kind of told him our story and our heart. And she just said, I remember leaving that appointment so devastated. She said, I've been doing this for 30 years. They're never going to think that you're a viable option. They're never going to pursue your family to be an adoptive family through DCS. And then we talked about, okay, well, what about infant adoption? I mean, that wasn't our goal, but, and she said, I've never seen a child placed in a home that had more than three children. If you're interested in adoption, in particular special needs children, you're really going to enjoy this Fortify episode. You'll be so encouraged to see that even when much of the world might think you don't have enough room in your home to love and care for yet another child, the light of Christ shines forth. Welcome to the Fortify Podcast. Here, four moms with 38 kids combined and over 120 years of homeschooling experience combined share resources and life stories that have fortified them and will hopefully fortify you as well. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. We so appreciate you tuning in again, and we hope to provide you with some fortifying facts. Now, today I'm joined by Ashley Kellogg, who is a mom to 11 children, uh, five of those whom are adopted, and all five of those children have special needs. I met Ashley through Fire and Light Productions, which is a wonderful theater club that our children are involved with here in the Fort Wayne area. A quick plug for them, if you're ever looking for some fantastic local theater performances, you definitely want to check out their show schedule and make plans to enjoy some great local entertainment. Now, as I've continued to watch Ashley's family grow, primarily through our Facebook friendship, with one adoption after another, I always am thinking in the back of my head, how in the world does she do that? Now, this month happens to be National Adoption Month, and so I thought it was the perfect time to sit down with Ashley and ask all the questions I have. Ashley thought DeBrands might be a little less noisier place to meet than her house and to record the podcast, and I'm not sure if that's going to be the case or not. You're probably going to hear some background music, but she's taking a little break out of her busy day so I can hear all about how her home got so busy. So, Ashley... Welcome to the mic, and thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we just start first with your backstory as to how you even came to start thinking about adoption and with special needs. I mean, just what happened? How did you get here? It's kind of a long story. I try to shorten it as much as possible. Um, I would say my husband and I are both trained elementary school teachers, so part of our Um, ministry and desire has always been working with underprivileged children. So early on in our marriage, we talked about how adoption would be part of our family, most likely. And um, we pursued many different avenues from the first time we spoke about adoption until we brought our first kids home from China was 10 years. Okay. Um, So we actually pursued um, working at a group home in Chicago at first Um, just working with underprivileged children. That was back in, um, we only had two kids at the time. Went through a year interview process and found out at the end that they were really against us having more children, and we felt like we were called to have many children in our home. And so we actually stepped out of that um, year-long process and said, this is not for us, and actually found out we were pregnant with our third at that time. Um, And then we 
were then encouraged by some friends of ours and said, okay, you can work with underprivileged children here in your home, do kind of the same thing through foster care. So um, we went ahead and applied for foster care. Then um, a year, year and a half later, once we went through all the process, we're actually denied a foster license in 2006 um, because we had too many young children. So we had three children under the age of three or four. And so they said we wouldn't be a good match for foster care. So we then pursued that again as our kids got older. Um, I actually found out we were pregnant with our fifth when we were applying the second time. And um, Indiana had changed their laws to say that there could be a total of five kids in the home, including biological children with foster care so and we were pregnant with our fifth so we were denied oh, a license okay. again in 2009 wow. <laughs> so wow it just always amazes me when people are willing to open their home and you know either there's too many kids or there's not enough bedrooms or there's you know yeah. anyway continue so very disappointing process you know that had already been a couple of years but um actually the birth of our fifth kind of changed our whole life then after that so she was born a couple months after getting that denial um, and she ended up having a significant brain injury at birth through processes that we could probably never understand there was no particular reason why Um, she just was stressed in the womb and um, stopped moving went to the hospital ended up having an emergency cesarean section within a couple hours they let us labor for a while so Um, We won't ever have answers to that, but um, she was in the NICU for 30 days, um, came home. She was, we were told initially to let her go, sign it, do not resuscitate. Um, She's going to be a vegetable is what they said. Um, And that it would just be easier on us to let her go early when she, right after she was born. But um, we just let the Lord lead and he healed her body and she came home with us. And, um, of course we prayed for complete healing, but we found out she started to grow and develop that her, um, she was definitely delayed in her development and she wasn't developing normally. So we started down that path of therapies and physicians and she had a seizure disorder. Um, she eventually went on to G tube feedings and it took us about two or three years to really get a hold of her care and understand how to take care of her. Um, and at that time, we had five children under the age of six. Wow. So busy, busy. Wow. So we really didn't talk about adoption or really any other children for Yeah, I can't imagine four at, years. That, yeah. at that point. I, 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 well, even after that, I don't know how that came in, but please, <laughs> please continue because you will tell us. Um, well, you know, I, I definitely still had heart for um, adoption, and so that didn't change. So once we learned her care, we um, we actually were we weren't approved for fostering in 2009, but we were approved to adopt through their special needs adoption program, um, which they consider everyone in foster care over the age of two, I believe, special needs. Wait, wait, wait. Through what organization was that? So it, it's it's called SNAP, and it's through DCS. Um, and it's we weren't given a foster license to foster, but we were given permission to adopt children who are part of this special needs adoption program. So oh, anybody, who's, anybody whose parents has rights, like anybody who has um, their parents' rights already terminated in the foster care system, we could adopt. We just couldn't foster to adopt or foster at all. Okay. Was that only for special needs kids? or any Well, kids? again, foster care, anyone over the age of two, they consider special needs. So these okay. might be, you know, neurotypical children um, that 
just have been in the system or are older. Okay. Um, so we actually, in 2013 then, we actually put in 22 applications for children across the nation and never got responses back. What? So most of them were sibling groups. That was, you know, kind of a, a heart I had for sibling groups because they're harder to place. Yeah. And more no's. <laughs> so any particular reason? Um, well, later we would find out that they just didn't see us as a viable and I a good family for children coming from hard places. You know, having five children, having a child with okay. significant special needs. Okay. Um, you know, we were told that they would see our information and just throw us off the pile. Okay. This, yeah, just, these people are just too much. No, it'd be too <laughs> much. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, um, so we eventually DCS said, you know, we really want you to pursue adoption through the state of Indiana. They had like no children under the age of 10 at the time. I think my oldest was maybe 10. Um, so we were interested in, in parenting children we hadn't parented before as far as ages go. Um, we didn't think that was for us. So we eventually, oh, we eventually um, decided to get our own home study. So um, DCS would not let us purchase or use the home study that they had done. So we went to a private agency and decided to get our own home study. And what does that mean? So basically, the, um, there's an organization that says that you have enough room, enough finances. Um, they look at lots of different aspects of your history and okay. your marriage okay. and approve you to adopt children okay. to say you're safe family they do background checks okay. and all that kind of stuff <laughs> so um and we had already done two through dcs wow it um, shows your commitment to want to do this yes we did we were definitely committed um so we went and you know home studies aren't cheap they're upwards of two thousand dollars sometimes more oh my goodness so we put together money went to a private agency sat down with them kind of told them our story and our heart and she just said i remember leaving that appointment so devastated she said I've been doing this for 30 years they're never gonna think that you're a viable option they're never going to pursue your family to be an adoptive family through oh DCS my gosh. and then we talked about okay well what about infant adoption I mean that wasn't our goal but and she said I've never seen a child placed in a home that had more than three children wow. most of the time they're placed with families who can't have children which makes sense um but we just left there and, okay. And she's like, you really should look at international adoption. It seems like it would be easier for your family. And, you know, knowing we lived on one income, I was a homeschool mom, we had five kids, a child with special needs, and an international adoption of 30 plus thousand dollars just seemed yeah, that, unattainable. Yeah, that definitely does seem unattainable. Yeah. So I actually went home, that was like November, and I remember thinking that Christmas, and I'm praying and pretty much saying, I think I'm just going to have that sixth child that we always talked about. <laughs> Lord, I'm done. This has been eight, nine years Good I've been pursuing this, and um, that's basically what my prayer was. And I remember very clearly hearing the Lord say, you will not have another child by birth before you adopt. And I remember thinking, how is that going to happen? Because I'm going to have another child. <laughs> but that's what I heard. So um, we actually ended up getting an email from that adoption, that home study agency, actually, um, Christmas Eve that year. 
Oh so this my. was 2013. And she said, um, I found a program that might work for you. Um, they often place siblings in the Philippines. So this might be, and it's one of the cheaper, um, cheaper, I guess, adoptions, international adoptions. So maybe you can work it out. So we looked at files, found a file of two little girls. Um, their names were Sally and Lerma in the Philippines. They were healthy siblings that were around the ages of my two girls at the time, nine and six or so. My girls were nine and seven. And we pursued adoption and just said, Lord, this is what you have for us. You're going to have to bring us the money because <laughs> we don't have it. And applied in January. Um, we're not chosen then for those two girls. Um, and which was devastating. I think our whole family was really on board for that. And um, I continued to do research and said, okay, if international adoption is what you want, then um, Lord, that I'll pursue that. So did a lot of research and I ended up watching this sweet video of a family I actually keep in touch with through Facebook um, of them bringing home their little boy Archie from Bulgaria and he happened to have Down syndrome and I watched the video so many hundreds of times did so much research on Down syndrome once I fell in love with this little boy and I remember taking all that information to my husband and saying would you even consider any an adoption like this and um, so we talked about it for about a month we went on Reese's Rainbow which is a website dedicated to advocating for children who um, have Down syndrome who need adopted and found a little girl and decided to pursue her adoption to China and I remember thinking we'll never be able to afford China how do they how are they going to look at us as a viable family as well, our income, you know. Um, but our agency um, encouraged us and said they have waivers for those kinds of things, and they're more open when you're adopting kids with special needs to family size and income and stuff. So we pursued her file and actually were matched then in 2014 in June. So we started an adoption to China, which was very overwhelming. Um, we knew it was going to be upwards of $35,000. And, um, but we knew that was what the Lord was calling us. So how, how did that, so how did that work out? I mean, <laughs> so we, I did so much fundraising and I think what people don't know is there are a lot of grants, um, we found mm -hmm. out about. So even prior to applying, um, I knew that there were grants that we could apply for. Um, so I was pretty encouraged that we'd be able to get some of those with our size of family and the type of need we were adapting and. So we just left it in the Lord's hands. Honestly, we didn't know how we were going to figure it out. But I think my desire for bringing home two kids at the same time and um, that desire, I always wanted to adopt siblings. Um, I really wanted to bring home two little kids. And so we asked our agency, actually sort of asked them behind my husband's back, to <laughs> pursue a file of a little boy that's younger. And so Franny was, I think, four, three or four at the time we saw her file. Um, and they were pursuing and had sent me a couple files that just didn't um, feel right for our family. But I remember just searching through advocacy pages on Facebook and looking at lots of little faces. And I came upon this little boy with blonde hair and a pink coat. And my heart jumped. And um, what I knew at the time, I knew he had albinism. And I was shocked that that was a need that was... That these children were given and explain up. what that is for anybody so, listening. Albinism is 
a genetic disorder that um, causes um, lack of pigmentation in skin, eyes, hair. So they generally have lighter, um, maybe even white. Our son has white hair. Um, and it is, um, it also affects their vision. So they have, they usually have, they usually are legally blind. Okay. So, but it's a minor need, you know, when I, when I think about that need, you know, a little bit of vision impairment, maybe glasses and blonde hair and sensitive skin, you know, but this was a need that in China, they, um, for whatever reason, um, these were children that they would abandon and give up. So you got then two children at one time? So yeah, so we ended up pursuing the file of this little boy and a little bit of backstory. My husband has two aunts and two uncles who had albinism. So I grew up, oh, I didn't grow up. He grew up hearing about these stories about them. They all passed before the age of eight because they also had a blood disorder that they passed from. Um, But I came into the family and knew these stories. So when I saw this little boy, I was like, you know, this is, you know. It's crazy how your heart was just so stirred. Yep. So, and that was why, you know, knowing these stories of these four family members. Um, So, yes, we pursued his file and actually had to fight for his file. We almost had to change agencies because they didn't want us to add another child. They said, oh, that's too much for you guys. And again, kept hearing, you know, you guys can't handle it. And um, eventually wrote, you know, a three-page letter to our agency and let them know how we thought we could handle adapting to it once. And eventually were able to pursue his file and be matched with him. So it was a battle, but I knew from the time I saw him that he was ours. So those two came in together. Yes. So they came in 2015. In 2015. And then the next little one came in. So in, um, we actually found out we were pregnant right before we left for China. 2015 and um, it's funny because the Lord said that we would adopt before we birthed another child so we did adopt in 2015 we had a baby early 2016 yeah (laughs) so then when she was about two years old we saw a file of um, an infant with Down syndrome they were looking for a family for they were looking for a home study ready family for which we did not have a current home study and said um, we ended up messaging them and asking to pursue um, this little boy, even though we didn't have a home study, but they had already had a lot of families apply. And, but they did say that there were a lot of families, you know, 30 to 40 families who place their children with Down syndrome in the United States for adoption yearly, which we did not know. And so we decided to get a home study and be ready when the, when another opportunity would present itself. So, um, did our home study in early 2018, found out about some organizations. Um, one of them is called Special Angels Adoption, and the other one is the National Down Syndrome Adoption Network. And these are both um, agencies who advocate for children with special needs here in the United States. Um, the National Down Syndrome Adoption Network obviously focuses on children with Down syndrome. They also work through um, DCS, so if they have children who come through foster care as well. And then Special Angels Um, works with all kinds of special needs. Um, They place infants mostly, um, but also place children of all different ages. So we found out about those agencies and actually got on their registries um, to be waiting families for both of them because we were open. We thought we would pursue a child with Down syndrome, but we were open to other needs. Obviously, we had Myra who had some other needs with brain injury and seizures and stuff, so we were open to it. Um, And actually through the next nine months, applied for 14 placements, um, got lots of no's, 
But I feel like with all the no's that we had had and going through the process with China, we're like, this is the Lord's timing and we'll just wait. Just wait. And so the first one was hard, I think. But then after that, it was like, that wasn't our child. You know, our child is waiting. Our, you know, someday we'll see our child and be matched with our child. So um, we waited about nine months. We saw our little boy, Theodore's file, in early 2019. Um, He was two months at the time. His family is actually, both his parents are from Mongolia and moved here when they were teenagers and live in Washington. And um, when he was born, they were just overwhelmed with his needs and didn't feel like they could parent him well. And were looking for a family who had more experience. Um, They actually requested a family who had other Asian children in the home. Oh, my goodness. And I think that's why, even though they, I think, initially preferred a smaller family. Right. um, We had eight at the time. um, When they saw our file and saw that we had two other Asian children that their son would grow up with. Okay, so Teddy was what year? He was 2019, last year. Yeah. Okay, and now then you quickly added two more yes okay so that that, that that was i remember the last one has been very recent yes. and i was just like what in the world <laughs> yep it all went really fast um so we brought him home in march and he was three months old of course he's a baby oh, yeah, he's beautiful. so cute yes so cute he's almost two um and so because i follow special angels on facebook um i would see posts and they they generally will get files and and be in contact with biological families and um, will contact people on their registry. But sometimes there's kids who there's no one on the registry that's looking to adapt that need or able to adapt that need. So they'll post, post on Facebook um, about these children that are waiting for homes. And there's still a lot of families who maybe aren't on the registry who are open to special needs, so that are home study ready. So um, they usually get matched through that. So we saw in July, early July, that they had posted that there were two Asian boys that were 11 and 6 that were looking for homes. And I contacted Sarah and I said, why would these children be looking for homes? You know, tell me what's going on. And come to find out that there are families who bring home their children internationally from lots of different countries. And either the files were inaccurate Um, The children had more needs than they anticipated. They weren't prepared for these needs. And so these families struggle providing for their kids. And some of them choose to find a different placement for them that they think would be better for the child. I can see that. I mean, I know some people may be against that, but I don't know. But that's that's the topic for another discussion. Let's keep going with yours. Yeah. Okay, so Um, then that was... So this was, um, so so this family, um, this six-year-old boy had come into their home and had significantly more needs than they were expecting. Um, I think they were expecting maybe some mild cerebral palsy, um, but he ended up with some significant physical needs, um, seizure disorder, his speech was very delayed. Um, he functioned more at a two-year-old level, and he was six. And you brought him home when? So we um, were matched with his family and brought him home at the very beginning of August of 2019. So it was about four months after we replaced with Theo. And Theo went with me across. Oh, right. So Theo was from Washington, and this little guy was from Virginia. That's so Theo right. went all the way over to Virginia with me to pick him up. 
All right, and then your last little boy. So um, it's just in the last couple of weeks, last la- it's been he's been home ten days, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. In our home 10 days. So, I mean, you were really even considerate and thinking, I don't know if I can leave, you know, yeah. today. And yeah. I just want to make sure he's okay. Your husband was home because you're really sensitive to that. And so how did he come to you? So, um, I think seeing all these families waiting to be matched with their children and seeing so many, so many children waiting through this whole, um, pandemic, um, so many families who were ready to go to China at the beginning of 2020 still have not traveled. Oh, and I think right. my heart was just stirred again for waiting children. And I reached out to um, an international adoption agency who we worked with, with our son, Micah, in 2019, our six-year-old. Um, and we, I just asked if they had any children they were advocating for that were kind of in that same position as Micah. Um, we started talking about adoption again. We talked about embryo adoption. And I just felt prompted to call them. And she said, actually, we are advocating for a seven-year-old little boy that sounds a lot like your Micah. Um, This family was overwhelmed with the speech delay. Um, He actually had less needs than Micah overall, but this family was kind of struggling. So we applied, and the family saw our file, even with 10 children, and felt like we would still be a good placement for him. And so we just went and got him on, let's see, the 5th. I sat down with this family. and took him home the same day I met them um, and brought him into our family just this week. Okay, for anybody listening, and here I'm sitting across the table from you, um, I mean, the thought is, how does this even work? Okay, so I remember, you know, people meet me and they're like, oh, you have eight kids, how do you do that? Well, my kids, you know, came you know, not like five months after each other. They didn't come with special needs. I mean, I have a friend, Heather has 13 children, Trish, Donna, very, but, you know, again, we would have never been approved for foster care. We have too many kids and too small of a space, but, you know, we know that life works and it's good and, you know, but ups and downs. But hearing your story, I, how does your house function? Seriously, like how... (laughs) How do you, that's a whole lot of needs and waking up to all those needs every day, how obviously there are stressors. Um, what, what is the structure? How, just how does it look? I mean, I think once you live with these kids, I don't really see their needs as different than maybe my teenagers emotional needs at the time, you know. Micah may struggle telling me what he wants, and so I spend extra time understanding what he's needing and slowing down and answering his questions, but it's the same amount of time I'd spend my teenager who needs to talk to me about, you know, getting rides here and there and staying at a friend's house. Like, yeah, you'll find, you'll in the, in the next podcast we're doing when we talk about living with adult children, <laughs> they're like double the time. <laughs> they are they're teenagers. Double the time. <laughs> and then post-teenage, but... Um, <laughs> but Okay, but are you having to run around to, you know, doctors all day? And So we do have quite a few doctor's appointments, and since my husband's a teacher, we try to plan a lot of those in the summer when we're both home, okay. and I can run. Um, obviously, with COVID, you know, you can only take one kid at a time. I used to take them all with me. Um, but um, we do have lots of therapies. Um, we combine. We have great therapists who will you know, set aside a chunk of three hours for the Kellogg kids and they'll just swap kids around. So, you know, one time a week I'll leave my house and do lots of therapies at one place. And then one other time a week we'll swap and do therapies at another location. And then um, our little guy, Theodore, has 
in-home therapies through First Steps. And so we definitely, we have probably 12 plus hours of therapy a week that we a work week. into our schedule. Okay. But we've been doing this, you know, Myra's 11 now, and we've been doing this whole therapy schedule for oh, 11 years. <laughs> well, yeah, you had all of her. Yeah. Yep. Okay. The other question I'm sure everybody's thinking is how in the world do you afford all this? I mean, that's, I mean, a lot of us homeschoolers are yep. single income families. Yep. Okay. And we are too. And, you know, we know, <laughs> we know Goodwill and, you know, Salvation Army. I mean, we know where to shop and we, you know, everything is discounted and yep. whoever's got something going, but just the medical costs and all of that, how does that work? We definitely are a, um, we focus on our budget and we're very careful about spending. Um, I try to be very minimalistic about what my kids' wardrobes look like and what their toys are and things. So um, we are budget sensitive. But um, as far as medical, Medicaid, well, I'll start that over. Um, as far as medical in the state of Indiana, if you have a need that qualifies for what they call a Medicaid waiver, the Medicaid waiver, once approved, you are automatically put on Medicaid, which generally after primary coverage, we have primary coverage through my husband, generally after primary coverage really will cover almost anything related to their special need, um, related to wow. medical needs. And then the waiver actually covers additional things. So the waiver has um, adapted our vehicle to make it wheelchair um, accessible. They've adapted our bathroom for our daughter, Myra, so that we have a larger bathroom so we could shower her in a, okay. in a standing chair. Um, so these waivers and Medicaid, we knew this from our biological daughter since she was young. So we knew when we were bringing home special needs kids that this would be We knew be there covered. were some resources yes. available. So okay. we knew um, that that would not max us as far as um, finances. You know, I am really grateful those things are available because not Obviously, you have a real heart for this. And I, I mean, that's the body of Christ working differently. I mean, that's not anything that would have ever occurred to me. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I was never going to, I was never, certainly never going to have eight children. So, <laughs> I mean, however, the Lord opened my heart to that. And, yep. you know, how I see, you know, this person works over here and there. Yep. And um, I just finished up a podcast with um, Bonnie Doolittle from Safe Families, who deals with. Um, trying to keep kids out of foster care, but, you know, all the families that step up and help these yeah. people out. So it's just amazing to me how the body of Christ works. So, all right, so now you have your older kids and you have all these other ones. The, I'm sure another question people have is how do the older kids feel about, an, you know, another special needs child? Or is it just like, oh, yay, this is wonderful, or mom and dad, I mean, I mean, it can't all be rosy because <laughs> in regular, and, and I shouldn't say in regular, and just natural families, I know, you know, how all that is. So I think they were really young when we brought home Franny and Fenton. And so it was just exciting. And we had been, ever since they were super, super little, we talked about foster care and adoption. Okay. And so um, that was an easy transition. Theo was an easy transition. You know, I had, what, two, three teenagers at the time, um, babies. Everyone loves babies. Um, when we brought home Micah, there was lots of conversations about what is this going to look like and what is his behavior going to be and, you know, what are his needs. And um, I think they found that it was an easy transition with him. He's super sweet, um, gets so, along with everyone, super laid back. So overall, everybody feels... I would say with this last one, I think my kids get a lot of pushback about how many kids are in our family. And so they hear a lot of, 
wow, your family's huge. When's your mom going to stop adapting? And <laughs> so I think that pushback. You Heather know, can relate to that with just 13 natural children, yeah. you know. <laughs> and so I think they get a little bit of like, how many are we going to end up with, mom? Yeah. Do how many, know how many kids you have, mom? Yeah. And so, you know, most of it is joking. And we definitely sat down and had serious conversations with each of them before we were, before we pursued um, our okay. new little one's adoption um, and just said, you know, what are your concerns? What are your thoughts? You know, his needs are similar to Micah's. I feel like the transition is going to be similar to Micah's. So it's a family decision. It's just not like it we're going to do this and you guys just need I mean, to put up with it. We ultimately <laughs> say if the Lord is calling us, he's calling you too. Okay. And so, um, you know, you can accept that calling or you can fight it. But um, that's, you know, they don't get to make the decision. But what I you did was say. You hear their concerns. Yes, I do. And, and I said, you know, what were the concerns that we had when Micah maybe came home? And so we talked. We had a lot of food trauma with him. And so we talked about details of, you know, what that looked like and how we can make that better. You know, Mom, can you put a list on the wall um, so we know what's coming, what we're eating each day? That will help us. And um, I don't know if that's very clear there. But um, they they would give us some of their thoughts and concerns. And so we were able to address them even planning for this little guy to come home. So what would you say are some of the hardships that you were not expecting but have encountered? Um, I think one of them is, um, especially with our domestic adoptions, um, being in contact with Theodore's biological family. Um, I didn't anticipate that transition to be as hard as it was. Um, you know, watching. Let's see if I can do this up. Okay. Fine. <laughs> I think one of the hardest things that I didn't anticipate was um, seeing biological and even adoptive families have to um, walk away from their kids. Um, I think even when I brought home Theodore, I stayed in Washington for about a week. And I remember. You know, he's adorable, running into a million people, just telling me how sweet he was and asking how old he was and feeling like I wanted to say that I was babysitting or that he wasn't mine. <laughs> um, because I knew while I was telling people about him and celebrating him and um, talking about how sweet he was... <laughs> So I just kept thinking when I'm answering people's questions and telling people um, about how old he was or how sweet he was, I knew that there was this family that was telling people that they had placed him for adoption and um, telling workers maybe why they aren't seeing photos of him anymore and just dealing with the reality of having to place a child. And um, even though Micah and um, Brian's families were not biological, it, that was hard as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's something you don't even think about. I mean, I didn't even think about that until, you know, you just mentioned that yeah. word. What's actually happening in that other family as that child is leaving? And we do have contact with all three of those families and, and will remain in contact with those families. So oh, well, that's, that's been a good. very sweet relationship. That's good. Yeah. So on the flip side then, what have been the best blessings or benefits that you did not anticipate or that maybe you were surprised by? Um, the special needs community is amazing. 
and the adoption community is amazing. The resources, um, the connection you have with other families, you know, we have a large family. We have a lot of adopted children. There's actually lots of families out there that are like me and like us. And so that has been a huge blessing to be able to have those connections and talk through challenges of large family living with adopted children who have lived through trauma. Um, so that's probably been one of our biggest blessings on top of just having these amazing kids right. in our home. Right. Um, I mean, I, and I really do think that in itself is a blessing. I mean, I know, like in my family, I'm looking always for ways to where the kids can volunteer or, I mean, you have that built right into your house. Yeah, you know what absolutely. I'm saying? And so they get to see that firsthand, what that looks like. And um, those, I believe, are will sow seeds ahead for, you yeah. know, all of their lives because they're going to have this um, vision of what this looks like. And the empathy of what it feels like and yeah. how it may direct them. They definitely have compassion. And um, I've had a lot of my little ones talk about adoption and um, in their future. So we'll see. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, okay. So what are some of the places or places that you like to take the kids, you know, here in Fort Wayne or surrounding area? Or Our favorite place is probably the zoo. The zoo is very large family friendly um as far as cost and time and um so we definitely love going to the zoo everybody together. likes the zoo of course yeah, a little cold right now i don't oh, know oh yeah not right now but what what i don't you know i've never even been to the zoo no that's not true i think i went once a long time ago is it open year-round no it closes in october yeah i would think it would have and to in april or so and so what about now and I can't I can't imagine that you and your husband would have much time for it but if you and your husband were going to go out on a date night or something what are some of your favorite places to go to if we're able to sneak out we usually try to make it to the square in Columbia City so downtown Columbia City has this little quaint area um really nice staff and so we spend our time they have variety of food so we can get Mexican or steak or whatever we feel like whatever lobster feel. you know wow uh, so Woo-wee. they have a nice little uh, awesome. menu all right you know what one thing I wanted to I ask you earlier what are your like top tips for somebody who's considering adoption like what are the top I don't know one thing you'd say or two or three like I would say the top two would be um, research and connection so there is so much information out there about kids coming from trauma and how their brains work and how to parent them best. Um, there's books by people like Karen Purvis and oh, my, Daniel my, Siegel. My um, daughter-in-law, Hope, I mean, Hope and Kyle, they, got, they you know, went into the whole foster care mm-hmm. and now Hope has set up her own nonprofit, which is well now under another nonprofit. But I know all the work that they did with uh, yes. Karen and, yep. or, you know, all of that. That's There's good information. lots of information lots available. Of information. And I think you said you could provide me with some links maybe yes. that I could put in the podcast. Yep. So um, you can definitely put all that in the uh, in the show notes. So for anybody listening, um, I'll put, is it okay to put your contact information yeah, in there? I'll put uh, Ashley's information in there. And I just... <laughs> And I'll just keep watching your Facebook page. <laughs> They're very, very cute. We need to put up. We need to put a picture in yes. so everybody can see them. But Ashley, thank you so much for taking the time out today to tell your story, so that everyone can know about how they can get involved with adoption and therefore 
being a fortifying force in their community. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Be sure to check out the show notes for helpful links to information discussed in today's episode. Until next time, may you be a fortifier to the world around you. Thank you.